Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Well, again, this week we're going to go back to a sermon series that I've been working on for the last six weeks from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's what we call wisdom literature. It's trying to teach us how to live our life. And the question that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks is this question, why am I here? In a topic that the teacher keeps circling back to is the topic of our death. It's not a topic that we always want to talk about. In in fact, it's a topic we would much rather avoid. But you remember from Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, he says, there is a day to be born and there is a day to die. It's quite depressing, actually. And I know this morning that as I enter this topic, for some of you right now, it's a little too raw. And it doesn't take very much for someone to just say something or for you to look at something and you are triggered And I'm preaching this message with as much sensitivity as I can, knowing that there is hope. And the hope that we find in this passage is a hope that ultimately rests in Jesus Christ. He is the doctor of our souls. And we're going now to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, right in the middle of the Bible. And what we're going to learn about here is wisdom. And as I said earlier, whether we like it or not, death has a way of teaching us wisdom. There we find these words. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. Like the crackling of thorns or sticks under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. I think many of us have had to go to a funeral already in our life, and some of us have had to go to too many of them. I remember the first funeral that I went to. I was 10 years old. Two things were brought to my attention. Number one, that there were people who were weeping and mourning there. And there were others who were talking and even laughing. The other thing that left an indelible stamp on my mind is this fact that my grandfather was now in a coffin. And that one day I would be in a coffin as well. The teacher wants to remind us something is 100% certain in your life that you will die. And the teacher remind us that there are two options then when you face the reality of your death. The one option is to face death by walking backwards into it. Pretending, as it were, that it doesn't exist. And that's the general flow of thought for most people, sadly, in this world. And even when somebody dies, they will say and think like this, I'm just glad it wasn't me. And we start to play this game of pretending. Some of you might know Simon and Garfunkel. They wrote a song, and the song was titled, Flowers Never Bend with the Rainfall. And in the chorus of their song, they write these words, so I will continue to continue to pretend 
My life will never end and flowers never bend with the rainfall. That's one way of approaching death. It's called denial. There's one approach to facing death, and that's facing death backwards. That's not what the teacher wants us to do. No, the teacher wants us to face death, looking straight at it. He begins in chapter 7 with these words, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Now, I think all of you would agree that a good name is better than fine perfume. I don't know if everyone will agree with me or agree with the teacher here that the day of your death or the day of death of someone else's death even close to you is better than the day of birth. How could that be? You know, the maternity ward is generally a pretty happy place. And we get lots of people commenting pre-COVID when they come and see the baby. They say, oh, the baby's so cute. He looks just like his mother or her father. And then we relish those thoughts and then we post our pictures on Facebook and Instagram and people are excited. So we post more pictures and people are still more excited. It just keeps going. And we celebrate birth. In fact, we should. It's a gift from God. Our children, whether adopted or biological, then why would the teacher say the day of death is better than the day of birth? He can only say these words if he's talking about seeking wisdom. There's way more wisdom found when you look at a coffin than when you look at a crib. As uncomfortable as that reality might be for us, And so there is, therefore, a better way to live your life out, not facing death backwards, but looking at death with your focus on it. And we're going to look at two things this morning as we divide that reality. There is a better way. We're going to go to the house of mourning. And secondly, we're going to be invited into the house of joy. So let's begin by going to the house of mourning. There's three reflections I like to make about going to the house of mourning. First is this, that we need to go willingly, we need to go with an open heart, and we need to remember the reason for death. When death strikes, it never strikes at a good time. And you're never prepared ultimately for someone's death. Many of you will tell me stories where you had no idea and the emotions are so raw and the grief so intense that when you think about going to the house of mourning, you're not thinking about going there willingly. You're kind of dragged or pulled into that house because you have to go, but it's the last place on earth that you want to be. But the teacher doesn't want to focus merely on on that intimate reality. He wants you to back up a bit, and he wants you to have a global worldview, a bigger picture of the reality of death. And that's why he kind of talks about this from almost like a, a clinical perspective. He wants to talk about it in the sense of learning from what's going on here, taking it in. But I've been to a funeral where people came to that funeral with an unwilling spirit to learn anything. The teacher says when we go to a funeral and when we deal with life and when we go into the house of mourning, we need to go with a willingness to go because God is going to talk to us there. And therefore, we need to go with an open heart. There's so much to do with the heart when it comes to the house of mourning. I have found that most people come to a funeral with open hearts, not only to pay respects to But he has a word to try to squeeze out any possible nectar of hope from the words that were spoken. Maybe they were realizing that death was a teacher and it was teaching them of the limitations of their life. Maybe they were realizing that death was reshaping their goals, their attitudes, the things that we're looking forward to and the hopes they had. 
But not only does death teach us to take a looser grip to the things of this world, which is so informative, it asks the bigger question. If we lose a loved one and we were holding on to that loved one, what replaces that? I want to go back to another author that I respect highly, and his name is is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was married for four short years in his life, I think between the ages of 50 to 54, something like that. But he said this about holding on. What are you holding on to when it comes to your faith after someone dies? He says, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to tie up a little box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice or a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? You see, the bigger question really is, where is your hope in the face of death? You see, the opposite is to avoid death by seeking pleasure. You see, what happens when you go and avoid the funeral home for the house of pleasure? You don't have to check the strength of the rope, which we call faith, at a party. The truth of God's promises, his love, his covenant with you are not questioned when you're feasting. I love how the message puts it. It says crying is better than laughing. It blotches the face, but it scours the heart. Crying is better than laughing because it blotches the face, but it scours the heart. There's a purging that goes on in those tears. Yes, your heart will be pierced at death. But there's a healing power that we need to realize. But before we get to the author of life, and that will be closing off the sermon, we need just to spend a little bit of time here. We need to remember the reason for death. I began at a very young age questioning life. Well, questioning death, actually. What happens after you die? How long is eternity? Will I be bored in heaven? Is there something after eternity? What if I don't get there? What if the whole thing is just a lie? And these questions began to plague me in my younger years and they would keep me up at night because the questions are real. Why is there even death in this world? You know, there's only two ways to answer this question and that is to say, you know, it's just part of the circle of life. But the other way to look at the reason for death is to look at it from an authoritative way, which is to say, if there is a God in heaven who created a good world, then we have to understand what happened to this good world that death entered And as soon as you understand that it's because of sin that death has entered into this world, you are forced to ask another question. Is there help coming from heaven that's going to help me to deal with the reality of death? If death is going to befall all of humanity because of my sin and your sin, and that's the wages of our sin, is there someone who's going to deal with this death reality? Or is this the only reality that we will ever know? You live, you die. End of the story. In this chapter, you understand there's a crying out. There's a longing for a hope. Why would the author spend so much time talking about death if there was no answer to it? And because Jesus has an answer, he opens the door and he invites us into a new reality. One that Solomon only has a slight picture of, but we get to experience in fuller measure because we have the whole Bible in front of us. Death is not the end of the story. I'm just going to finish with this, the last point, being invited into the house of joy. You know, Jesus understands death. 
And he says in John 16, verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Our Savior sent from above. He came to die. To face off with the intruder who brought death into the world, Satan, and conquer them all and rise again. And therefore, Paul says, he is the first fruits then. He is the first one of our glorious resurrection. He is the one that we can hope in because he has conquered death. He is the conquering king. So Jesus says to his disciples, knowing that he was going to be victorious, chapter 6, verse 22, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And I'm going to ask you this morning if you understand a little bit of what that means for you personally. What does this joy mean to you? Do you believe that in Jesus Christ who has conquered death that there is a joy that he can give you that no one can steal from you? Do you believe that he has given you a clear conscience that you can face tomorrow? Do you realize that this joy is never going to be mixed with pain and suffering, with tears, with shame, with sadness and sorrow? Jesus says to you, I have the only answer and I'm inviting you into my house of eternal joy. Jesus asked, do you want to go in? Do you want to be with him forever? And Jesus says, believe in me. Trust me. You are safe with me. And my question to you this morning is simply this. Do you believe that? 